The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We have so much to get through and we're delighted to have some of our favourite contributors to The Last Word joining us again today. Uh, those are Lise Hand, Dave Hanratty from the No Encores podcast, Brianna Parkins from the Irish Times, on Tomas McDermott, Managing Director of the Communications Clinic, all regulars on the week trending on a Friday and other items on the programme as well. Thank you all very much for being with us. We picked, we decided that the story of the year that got everybody talking, well, it certainly got everyone talking during the summer, was the RT secret payments scandal. So we've decided to revisit that. But on Tomas, if I can start with you, this went wider than just been the media being interested in this story. This did really seem to capture the national attention, didn't it? Oh, it captured everybody's attention, Matt. If you had told me that I would have been watching Oroctus TV lying beside a swimming pool on my holidays, I would have said uh, not a hope in hell. But it was a really extraordinary story that kicked off with really the payments row and the under-declaring of payments for Ryan Tuberty, but then evolved into a really review of RTE. And I think you can break it into the Tuberty scandal, the RTE scandal, and then the implications of that. And I think first and foremost, I'd say I'm delighted that Ryan has gotten his new role because he's a very nice person and a very talented broadcaster. But in fairness, in the management of this, uh, this crisis, it's a case study on how not to handle an issue that becomes a problem and then becomes a crisis. This all came to light uh, towards the end of June um, following a, a Grant Thornton report that had gone to the RTE board. Ryan was then taken off air on the 22nd of June, but you'll remember his first statement was quite bullish where he pretty much said this was an RTE problem and had nothing to do with him. He then had to come out with a second statement which wasn't a whole lot better, but at least was a bit more apologetic. And then he had the Oireachtas appearance uh, with his agent Noel Kelly, which went so-so um, where they again came out swinging but subsequently RTE came out swinging Oh well, okay, just I'm going to stop you there for a second on because I want to play a little bit of a clip to remind people of Ryan Tuberty and what he had to say when he got in to these committees I've been dragged into a mess not of my own making With your colleagues? Deputy Devlin With my colleagues the, uh, the only thing I have for my colleagues is respect we, People have families Yeah just think, people yeah. need to think about it. I mean, you got, you're a public representative you know what it means when you're in the middle of something you get that no, I'm not. This is my first rodeo being in the public eye, but I've never seen anything like it. I, I don't know if any of you've been cancelled before, but let me tell you, you don't want to be there. So, so just and there was no, no, no connection between this fiasco and my departure from the Late Late Show. I promise you. I don't think I'm a different person to the one who, in the last six months or fourteen years, promoted. Vincent DePaul or no, I'm not told sure. children not to bully each other no this is my answer to your question to or promote child literacy and do all these really important things that I think matter not just to me but to you know my fellow citizens like literally kids reading all these important things and, 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 and yes this, this salary is enormous I understand that but that doesn't affect my soul it can't you're laughing, Brianna. <laughs> it gets me every time, and I think like the I don't know if it made it up, but it should have it, on that on the uh, the Twitter account X account accidentally. Alan Partridge, it, the whole thing just gave off big Alan Partridge vibes. And look, that Aroctas Media Committee televised. I mean, there was no better argument for funding public television and public broadcasting than the than being able to watch that the, the highest rated ever unscripted drama it was it was the best irish drama to come out in 2023 you couldn't make it up Okay, I suppose it does strike me as well, Lisa, and you are a veteran of having been in Leinster House covering all sorts of stories that 
politicians get cancelled all the time. They get cancelled by the electorate at various votes, so they do know what it's like to be cancelled. But was Ryan Tuberty unfairly treated in your mind in a lot of this? In retrospect, now we look at it six months on. I probably on balance, no. Um, I think that, of course, there was the the fervor and people watching it, and you know, on their holidays and in pubs and so on. Um, I think a lot of it would have gone away probably more quickly if he'd handled it better. I think, um, the, as Owen made a ref, ref, reference to his kind of bullish statement and stuff, that kind of set the tone for what followed. And I think maybe showed people that there was a bit of a disconnect in, in Ryan's head about what he what he thought people thought of him and what people really thought of him to a certain extent. Um, so... You know, they, I have been, as you rightly say, I have snoozed in front in many of committee rooms, ones, two, three and four. And uh, sometimes I've seen insanely robust, um, I mean, to the point of, you know, it, like the whole thing spiralling out of control. I've seen some people get a really, really rough time of it in there, um, you know, because the politicians decide to showboat because they, you know, they love all the, you know, they throw shapes because they know there's a bit of interest on it. I think he got a little bit of that, but really, I think they treated him kind of, they were all a bit starstruck and they did quite treat him, I think, reasonably well. Uh, I think it was sort of the, the suits of RT that got the much more uh, robust grip. Well, indeed, this listener here says, I don't lay any of the blame at Ryan Tuberty. My anger is with the RT execs. Why is no one in RT held accountable? Why have all the managers and execs involved in the debacle kept their jobs? Well, D Forbes was gone before they got to the Oireachtas committees and we've never heard from her since, actually, Dave. Yeah, and was it, uh, was it Richard Collins, the chief financial officer? Sure. I think he's out as well, I believe. Um, and Geraldine O'Leary, the commercial director, was due to retire six or seven weeks later anyway so she went to one committee hearing and then was gone afterwards Yeah it's common I mean like Tuberty being the face of this was kind of inevitable really especially and it is quite the contrast to that initial bullish statement and then kind of you know uh, going out to the, the reporters outside his house with a sullen look in his face and all that kind of stuff he thought that was it it's grand I'm, I'm going to skate free now it's fine but instead as we've all pointed out we got a television show to rival succession this year in terms of just like just the greatest thing you'll ever see the notion of Ryan Tuberty being cancelled I mean I'm sorry but like if I, I wouldn't mind being cancelled if it resulted in a job on cushy London radio, you know, going into the next year that my celebrity mate got for me. Um, And it was just great. He was so earnest. He was so to the cameras. He's a pro at this. But it was great to just watch everyone kind of come at him with their, you know, their hot knife ready. Alan Kelly demolished him, you know, bringing up the Toy Show musical, which remains my favourite piece of hubris attached to all of this. The amount of times Toy Show musical came up and people were just like grabbing their collars and looking away. But it was great. Him being referred to as the Toy Man, like he just wants the children of Ireland to read again, to dream again. This is all he wanted. So he's a heartbroken man. Uh, In some respects, I feel sorry for him. But at the same time, he's landed on his feet now. But Lise, how much more important is it for the future of RT? Because it exposed an awful lot of culture within RT, which was not acceptable to the public, which then resulted in people not paying their licence fees and a financial crisis made even worse. So what needs to be done now to save RTE? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think, yes, obviously they got hammered. A lot of people just didn't bother paying their, their licence fee this year. They lost 27 million, I think, in revenue <clears throat> this year, which is... A phenomenal one, amount. Which is, yeah, and it's a huge hole. I mean, it really is in already fairly rickety finances. And what's more, I mean, next year, they will be expected as the national broadcaster to cover, you know, things like the the the, 20, the Olympics next summer and the Euro finals. So, I mean, they... they and possibly a general election. And, and Although you could argue, they say, they election. could treat these things as exceptional Certainly events. Going to be but we know elections. they're going to happen. 
Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's finances in place for these things, as we well know. So, you know, they, they are now left in the position where <clears throat> the the government are just literally have them over a barrel, to be honest, which isn't a very good, it's not a healthy state of affairs for, an, you know, for a broadcaster like that, that they are, they are kind of beholden now to, you know, handouts and extra handouts and extra supports from RT and it's not a great that's it's not a, you know it's not a good position. Well on Thomas McDermott I want to go back to you on this because there was a survey done of all the big brands and companies in the country during the year and RT came rock bottom at 150 at place it just collapsed in the public sentiment towards it. How much does that matter or is it that many people have just moved on from RT being where they went to for all their information and entertainment? Yeah, I think it'll take them a while to build up that reputation back. I think for organisations, it can be quite difficult. Like if I think, for example, back to something like the Central Bank in 2008 and 2009, when their own reputation was on the floor following the financial crash, what they did was there was a clear out at the top. You could say a version of that has happened in RTE with D Forbes et al. going on. And they brought in in the central bank the likes of Patrick Honan as governor and Matthew Elderfield for the head of banking regulation. And then they refocused on kind of specific areas of competence. RTE probably need again to reset on what are the things we are going to be focusing on and do them damn well. And if you look at then at the central bank a decade on, their reputation, people mightn't hugely like them, but there is certainly a level of of respect and trust, but it did take a decade. So I think there's a fair amount of heavy lifting done. And this is quite a different job. It's not dramatically different, but it's quite a different job than Backhurst would have gone for at the beginning of the year. And you might remember, Matt, as well, there was a mess around that appointment with leaking from the board as well in relation to the competition that he was in. So the board didn't show or um, show themselves in the best light in that regard too. But it is a significantly different job. It's going to be a tough job given the fact that there is still a lack of clarity on how they're going to be funded. And that's not going to happen until 2025 it again is difficult for any leader of an organisation to run it without knowing where their money is going to come from. If I can quickly go back, Matt, though, because on the cancelling pit, the thing people forget is Ryan had pretty much got his job back. He had agreed and that they had agreed and then he decided to release another statement, a third one, that then relitigated the whole issue and Backer said, come on, we can't do this and then made the decision not to give him the job. So he wasn't cancelled at all. He was getting his job back and then a class example of of that old thing of don't, you know don't talk yourself out of it he talked himself out of it <laughs> Brianna this is a point I'll probably bring up with you a number of times today but as the person amongst us has come in and observes us as the outsider what the hell did you make of this whole thing could you make this up I mean I think I love the term omni shambles I think you can kind of you know apply it to the situation and you're right he was home and hose he got his radio show back and then with that press release sort of kind of alluded to throwing Archie under the bus saying, look, I've been cleared by the report. My numbers were fine. And it's like, well, actually, you should have noticed there was a bit of a different amount of money going into your account than was reported and Backhurst was having none of it. And it also hit at the wrong time. It was a cost of living crisis. Um, Archie had been in a deficit for years um, and also the the his talk show was sort of going down ratings. So it just all hit him at the wrong time. Had this had happened five or six years ago, who knows? Maybe he would have slid away. But he also had Backhurst coming in, taking control and had to put his mark on things as well. So it was just really bad timing for him. But also, as an outsider, it is the weirdest way to fund public broadcasting and public bro- public service broadcasting government owned broadcaster I think is so key to having you know a, a decent freedom of the press and democracy um, and your funding model is basically trying to catch people who are too slow to hide from the license inspector at the door like people who are too slow 
like hiding underneath their windows when they come knocking. That's not a funding model. That shouldn't that shouldn't happen. And as far back as 2021, you saw I think a, a 70,000 license shortfall. So people yeah. already weren't paying. I think it's a 15% evasion rate of last year. You should just fund the public broadcaster out of your taxes. Australia, I think it costs me about six cents a day to run the ABC and it's something that I happily pay for. And the state's already paying for people on benefits. Um, they pay their, their TV licenses for them. So in a way, the taxpayers are already funding. Just bring it in across the board. Put it in with our taxes. Okay, there was a lot of humour taken out of what happens. So let's hear a little bit of uh, the comedian Michael Fry summing up the events of the day when Ryan Trumpety and his agent Noel Kelly who as I always say does represent me in certain issues when they were grilled by the PAC in the Rochester Media Committee. Musical expert Dave Hanrahan. That must be one of the tracks of the year. Yeah, it's up there. Has to be. Uh, Michael's a friend, and shout, shout out to him. That's one of his apex moments. Uh, I do have to wonder though: Does Matty McGrath get a co-writing credit for uh, <laughs> for being the inspiration for the loyal line? And as well, uh, you mentioned Noel Kelly. I must say as well, like speaking of theatrical timing and kind of you know that kind of a bullion nature. Uh, one of the I guess prevailing moments for me from the whole thing was when Noel Kelly was finished off his big speech at the, at the intro and kind of sat there and said, you know, this isn't the Ryan Tuberty scandal deep pause for effect, this is the RTE scandal, and then sat back and he had this like, it was like watching someone on a stage play, the whole thing did feel like we had come together, as a community as well, it should be said, like Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, that thing is long gone, but that day, I mean everyone was on there having the best time of their lives, including the aforementioned Michael Fry. We have to move on, but we'll do that after we've had the traffic with Mark Hogan. I don't think there's any doubt as to what the international story of the year has been, and that has been the atrocity in Gaza, that after the dreadful Hamas attack of October 7th, the response by the Israeli army has appalled most people in Ireland. Would that be a fair assessment, Lee Sand? I think that's a totally fair assessment. Um, 
I think everybody is just utterly overcome with just a feeling of helplessness, anger, sorrow, just and not knowing how it's going to end. And just watching this and the numbers, I mean, the numbers just rain down on top of you. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 20,000 dead, over 50,000 injured. At least 8,000 of those are, are children because the almost half the population of Gaza is under 18, which means, by the way, none of those were are actually eligible and ever, never were eligible to vote for Hamas. Um, Israel have dropped something like 29,000 bombs. At least half of those have been unguided, which means that they go everywhere. Um, and out of that, about 200 of those bombs are 2,000 uh, 2, pound bombs, which are absolutely enormous. They have visited death, destruction, horror, and just absolute misery on this small stretch of land. And I think that the massive solidarity that uh, people felt with Israel in the immediate days after the attack, when they saw the savagery which was unleashed by the violent fundamentalist jihadi uh, Hamas, I think that has now turned to something where we just find it very hard to understand how they can persist with this and think that people aren't looking at them now going, do you not understand that you're turning into the very thing that you feared would happen to you? You're turning into a vengeful, genocidal, uh, heartless force. And I don't know if if Israel are ever going to recover from this. Yeah, I mean, you use the word helplessness there, and that is kind of how you feel about it. And look, I mean, it's it's impossible. Like, we're sitting here in a very nice studio here in Dublin talking about the news review of the year. It's like well, we are in a remarkably privileged position to be able to kind of try and switch off from this. But you can't switch off from this. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in, you know, you pick up your phone, you look at anything, you look at an Instagram story, you go onto Twitter, you go onto any news website, etc. We're talking about it right now. For the last two and a half months, this has been a daily situation. And as as Lee says, the numbers are absolutely staggering and genuinely shocking. I don't really understand why some people seem to think that it, it isn't disproportionate retribution to what happened. What happened on October the 7th is horrific. There's no question. But what has happened since then, it, it's it, we are watching genocide unfold in real time on our phones. We've often said, what would have been like back in World War II in Nazi Germany You know, if we could just see it on our phones happening? Would we be desensitized? We are seeing this happening and it's crazy. And I think as well of like, when it comes to politics as well, when it comes to say, you know, you have like Simon Harris making an impassioned speech in the doll about how you can't build a civilization on the mass graves of children. But then the next day, he doesn't vote to expel the Israeli ambassador. He just goes with the party line. So it's like, you can't make these impassioned emotional statements that do well and go viral. But what good would expelling the Israeli ambassador do? Isn't it always different that you have to keep lines of communication open? It's like, we haven't expelled the Russian ambassador either, despite what has been done in Ukraine and despite the provocations that he says in his public discourse in Ireland. It just feels like kid gloves, though. And I think given what is happening, it just feels like it's like, oh, we'll get to it eventually. And I, I don't think you can... I don't think you can progress in that regard. And Ireland has been an outlier. So if we're going to be an outlier, we have to be an outlier. Brianna? I don't think people appreciate how much Ireland is an outlier in this sense. Um, I mean, at home in Australia, I'm seeing colleagues of mine either sanctioned or taken off air or losing their jobs um, because of the language they're using when reporting on the situation, not even their personal opinion, but the language they're using on the situation, reporting on their own social media. Um, the ABC, the national broadcaster, is currently embroiled in a case of that. And I've had it before. All journalists have had it before. I think. Sorry, this is for expressing solidarity yeah, with not the Palestinian solid, people? Not particularly even, I would not argue solidarity. I would just argue a particular way of reporting, using the terms like genocide. Terrorism. Yeah, they can be very low. State-sponsored terrorism. 
Yeah. That's interesting. And, um, you know, in Australia, we, we have a, a very big uh, Palestinian and also Israeli and, and Jewish population, um, you know, after we are built on post-war migration. So we have a, a lot of, um, of Jewish people in our community. Not all of them are Zionists. A, a lot, big chunk of them uh, really dislike what's going on and disagree with Israel's actions. But the ones who are Zionists tend to be very, very vocal. So you will get, as a journalist, um, bombarded with emails. And sometimes you can tell it's an automated service. They will go up to your boss. They will make complaints to the press commission. Um, and it will happen over sometimes the most asinine articles. So you're under a lot of scrutiny and pressure. And I think in Ireland, and there's sort of a more sensible approach. On to Moss McDermott, what do you think of the approach in Ireland and what do you think of the possibility that there is, in some quarters, a developing anti-Semitism? There's there's a risk of that, I'm sure, um, Matt. And I, I think it's it's important to clarify that this is a criticism of the Israeli state rather than the criticism of any Jewish people. To go back to what Dave was talking about, because I think he's quite interesting. He was very interesting there in relation to the that we are observing this on our phones. And I was reading an interview that Gordon Brown had done in the Guardian back in 2009, where he was talking about the impact of social media, and he said things like the Rwandan genocide, where I think almost a million people were killed in 100 days, couldn't happen again because of social media, because public opinion would get to the point, because we were being exposed to it, public opinion would get to a point where action would be taken and would have to be taken. What I find just amazing now is that we are still in this place where action isn't being taken. You have America... Uh, propping up um, Netanyahu and propping up this kind of... Supplying the armaments. Yeah, in a just a, an astonishing way where they are so... They have lost all moral authority. Joe Biden having gone down in people's estimation that this and this sense that really now anything goes. It's just... It's absolutely staggering. And like to build on really what everybody has talked about, there, there, the war is always horrific. But there, you would have thought that there are some just things that you would say, okay, they are now uh, out of the out of any kind of war crimes and that is the attacking of women and children and all of that is just absolutely astonishing what's going on and then you just listen to organisations that you would take would have international respect the likes of Médecins Sans Frontières the likes of UNICEF the likes of the WHO who are saying this is the worst that they ever have ever seen that there's no water there's no sanitation there's no hospitals there's no schools there's no food there's constant shelling and bombardment the bombing is continuous and there's nowhere to go and the thing that I always just try and appreciate in relation to Gaza is that it's the size of County Loud with half the population of Ireland in there. It takes you 40 minutes to drive from Drogheda to Newry. That's how small the place is. And they're crammed in there, getting bombed and shelled continuously. And the fact that we, the US or the EU, for example, hasn't been very strong on this. Von der Leyen from the start has pinned her colours to the mast. It is again just incredibly disheartening and that sense of helplessness I think is a, is a constant feeling. The big question then is going to what's going to happen after this? What's the, what is the actual end point? Because in Palestine there's going to be you know obviously aside from all of the horrific deaths that's going to happen there is generational trauma. As Lee said where are Israel going to get, end up in their political status? And then the West's okay. moral authority when we see what 
what's going on in Ukraine and everywhere else. You're saying is it one set of rules for one and another set of rules for another? Okay, Owen Tomas McDermott, Dave Hanratty, Brianna Parkins and Lise Hand are all staying with us to continue our review of the year, but we need to take a break before the 5 for 5. Okay, we are joined by Lise Hand, Dave Hanratty, Brianna Parkins and Owen Tomas McDermott to review the year. But what we're going to do now is going to hear the voices of some of those who died this year. Let's see how many of these that you can recognise and remember. Back up a minute. You know what a loser is? A real loser is somebody that's so afraid of not winning, they don't even try. Now you're trying, right? Yeah. Well, then you're not a loser. We're going to have fun tomorrow, right? Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the rain, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. So, in Camden Town, I was Irish, and then I heard people talking English like that, you know. So I started talking like that. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I was like that, very, very English. But still, when I went home to see my mum and dad up the road in Camden Town, I spoke like that. So I kept talking like that. And then some I heard people sometimes talking like that. Trinity College rang me up, you see, and said, we're not happy with this. Will you come over and I'll do a safe sex workshop for us? I don't mean I was doing it on the floor with people <laughs> demonstrating the no, stuff, but no, it was just to, like, no. say, you know, to get yes. the message across. Yes, And Mary was there. Doing what? <laughs> she was stretching them while I blew them up. <laughs> The girl from Ipanema goes walking And when she passes, each one she passes goes Ah When she walks, she's like a samba that swings so cool and Talking about superstars, we had them, superstars of this, coming out of our ear holes when we celebrated our 200th show during the last series. We had the legendary Miss Gloria Swanson, Miss Olivia Newton-John, pre-gong, and if that wasn't enough, the greatest superstar of them all, the legendary, not to say infamous, Dame Edna Everidge. Like yourself, the only difference really between me and the viewers is that I'm rich and talented and they're not. That's the only difference... I hope that uh, Prime Minister Zhou Enlai is as right as he often is when he told a group of visiting American newspaper editors I was the only man he knew who could talk for half an hour without saying anything. of Western civilization. And along came technology, and it probably started with radio talk shows. 
when all of a sudden the audience could call in. And that was the first time that the actual audience became the entertainment. That's what I learned. That's what I left him with, knowing that I could always work. And that's bottom line for me now. If I don't have a record, I can always get work because I'm a performer. Performer first. MBE is member of the British Empire. I've been fighting against empire all my life. I've been fighting against slavery and colonialism all my life. I've been writing to connect with people, not to impress governments and monarchy. He wants you for a possession, something to look at like a painting or an ivory box. Something to own and to display. He doesn't want you to be real and to think and to live. He doesn't love you. the same you know suddenly all my, my pals were missing and uh, from being a, a reserve who occasionally got a game in the first team suddenly I was one that was in the first team on a regular basis and and I was in a I was in a, posi a position of responsibility that I had to take no matter what may be the style I see very close to your father? Yes. It was a daddy-daughter kind of thing? Yeah, very much. What was he like as a father? Uh, very, um, you know, adoring, very sweet. Seems like dreams like I always had Could be, should be, making me glad Why am I blue? Do you know me or are you just really good at this game? I'm Susie Moss. Fourth grade, glasses. I used to carry around a box of animal crackers like a purse. Susie Moss. Someday, some way, you'll come. But I had had all that the outside had to offer. Julia Roberts is my girlfriend. It doesn't matter, you have to drink. I just bought my dream house. It looks across the whole city. Can't enjoy that without a drug dealer. It had to be you It had to be you If somebody comes up to me and says, I can't stop drinking, can you help me? I can say yes and follow up and do it. When I die, I don't want friends to be the first thing that's mentioned. I want that to be the first thing. I can see by Stone, you were only 19 when you joined the great fall in this mate of mine rang and he says 
He said, I heard you were dead. And he said, I was talking to such and such a head. And he said, he was outside your garden. And he kicked the ombudsman was on his way out. And the blanket fell off your face. It's definitely Christy. <laughs> so I've had, I've had, I've died a few times. But the, the last Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Christy Dingham. If it is successful, it's because it is a great record, which it is. Shane's a great songwriter in my opinion. Yeah. And, and the notion of the two of you, um, yeah, Shane is a terrific songwriter. I mean, long after we're all gone, they'll be still performing and, and recording Shane's songs. Oh, so he's not bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, now I started sounding quite young and I felt, I guess it's, it was a way of uh, conducting a relationship with whatever you call it, that some people call God or the Holy Spirit or Jah or whatever you call it. I felt it was a way of um, being in communication with that, a kind of a little, almost like a little link, you know. Fight the real enemy. was one of the, probably the only female troublemaker, do you know what I mean, at the time, trying to get people to hear things that hadn't been heard or listen to things that hadn't been, you know, talked about or whatever, so. there with Sinead O'Connor and we started with the actor Alan Arkin, singer Tony Bennett, actor Michael Gambon. 
from Pulp, the band. There was the guitarist Steve McKay, the comedian, broadcaster and animal rights advocate Paul O'Grady, singer Astrid Gilberto, broadcaster Michael Parkinson and Barry Humphreys as Dame Edna Everidge, who both died this year. Andy Rourke's bassist with the Smiths. There was Henry Kissinger, the highly controversial diplomat and politician, singer and actor Harry Belafonte, former political aide turned broadcaster Jerry Springer, singer Tina Turner, James Reed, the guitarist from the Sex Pistols, poet and actor Benjamin Zafania, the singer Jane Birkin, actor Julian Sands, Robbie Robertson from the band, football legend Bobby Charlton, singer Lisa Marie Presley, who you heard talking about her dad Elvis, actor Matthew Perry from Friends, singer Christy Dignam from Aslan, the guitarist with the script Mark Sheehan, and of course Shane McGowan and Sinead O'Connor, and others that we should mention as well. There's Rosemary Smith, the legendary Irish rally driver who died recently. Uh, actors Raquel Welsh and Angus Cloud. The businessman Ben Dunn. The philanthropist Chuck Feeney, who gave billions to this country. The actor Ryan O'Neill, who was a guest in this very studio back in 2015. Very entertaining character. The writer Martin Amos. Uh, footballer and football manager Terry Vanables. And actor and politician Glenda Jackson. So those are just some of those who are remembering. And that's that was all put together for us by Liz O'Neill. So we'll be back to discuss more of the year trending. Uh, Lise Han, Dave Hanratty, Brianna Parkinson, Owen Tomas McDermott will be talking to us when we come back. We're continuing our review of the year with Lise Han, Brianna Parkins, and also with Owen Tomas McDermott and Dave Hanratty. And we had decided we were going to talk about the recent Dublin riots, perhaps a little bit of recency bias, but there's some good news in the Irish Times this afternoon, which I think is definitely worth reporting, because the little girl who had been most seriously injured in that attack, for which now charges have been brought against an individual has left intensive care it's been reported this afternoon she's been brought to a ward in the hospital and which is great news to hear that she is recovering it may be a long recovery but we all wish her the best in that and to her parents but it's great news that she is recovering particularly as there were people trying to use social media to make all sorts of claims which had no basis in reality about her condition so it is good to know that she is recovering Let's hear a little bit of what went on, though, in the aftermath of that terrible attack in Parnell Square in November. It's not the type of thing we're used to seeing, Lee's Hand, is it, in Dublin? We had the Love Ulster riots around 2005, but that was something different. It was, Matt. And then I suppose you could also then go back to the, the, the Lansdowne Road riot, which, you know, on the face of it, all three look different, but they had one thing in common, and that's the uh, the, Gardish, the Gardas were caught completely on the hop and were not ready for any of those. Um, despite, particularly in this last instance, there have been plenty of evidence online beforehand that this was going to deteriorate because social media, particularly Twitter, Stroke X, was absolutely awash with um, misinformation, disinformation. And incitement. Fear-mongering, incitement to hatred. All of that was absolutely and utterly all over the platform. And it's interesting, actually, just to back that up, uh, the Business Post last weekend had a very good piece, uh, the Twitter files, where they had documentary evidence that showed that Elon Musk 
had basically instructed people not to take down hate speech, incitement to hatred, to leave posts up there. And it was very clear. I mean, I'm just sort of staying on this message as opposed to the, the broader thing. But um, I suppose as, as a somebody with a great interest in misinformation, disinformation um, and with a journalistic background, that I first thing my instinct was to actually open Twitter to start looking to see can I find information. And I very quickly realised in order to find out what I wanted to find out, I had to actually input the names of specific crime reporters and who I knew would be on the ground which just shows what an absolute and utter cesspit of misinformation and bile that that uh, once absolutely crucial news tool has become. And unfortunately, this plays into the hands of those who want to foment trouble uh, and hatred rather than people who are actually trying to find out what's going on in a situation like that. Dave. Yeah, and those people who do that don't want, they don't listen to reason. You know, like, it's not, you, you can come back with, well, actually, no, that's wrong, this is what's happening, and they'll just call you fake news. Uh, we need to make racists afraid again, I think, is the real problem here. I think people have been incredibly emboldened by what happened on that day, and of course, you know, it started out as one thing, it became another thing, and that's another conversation that also has to be had, because, you know, you talk about the opportunists who looted, and sure, they absolutely need to be punished in, in, in accordance with the law, no question, and, and it was a horrible evening for anyone who was caught out in it. But if, you're, if your government and your country tells you that you don't matter, and not only do you not matter, you're a problem, well, what else are they going to do? This thing has been coming for a long time. It's a government failure. It's absolutely a guardy failure. And to hear the likes of Helen McEntee and Drew Harris come out and say, no, no, like we, we, we did the best that we could possibly do, and Dublin is safe. It's just, it, it's, 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 it's lying. Like, I mean, I, they're hardly going to say, yes, I screwed up. I will resign. That's the point. They won't do that. But there's just so much going on here. And talking about the misinformation, it's, it's an endless problem. It's unregulated completely. And it's it's a miracle, an absolute miracle that nobody died on that night. But I think, Brianna Parkins, you take a slightly contrary position in that there really were a bunch of wimps in this country that we don't know what a bit of rioting is like. It happens I, everywhere else. I don't think I put it in those exactly. <laughs> All right, OK, I've been a bit leading there, but go on. I was on the ground and I was expecting something to... I've experienced Australian riots um, and I'd say majority of them I've grown up with have been racially charged, the Cronulla riots famously. Um, I was expecting something similar to that in terms of anyone who was darker than beige was attacked. So people had were bottled, couples trying to enjoy a nice night out on the train were attacked by giant mobs. So that's when I went in with my you know notebook and my phone expecting I didn't see evidence of that. What I saw was really angry young men basically looking at the guards as somewhere to concentrate their frustration on. And it was so this little scuffle where they would lob things at, at the shields, the riot shields. The shields would come forward, they would scatter, and would, it would just keep tussling on back and forward. And it just seemed to be an excuse to yeah, direct sort of senseless anger and rage rather than be a race riot. I, I didn't see anyone chant racist slogans. I didn't see people, um, you know, being targeted like I'd feared. Not to say that didn't happen. It just seemed to me like a bit of an opportunity opportunistic, um, you know, reason to go looting and just sort of disaffected young people looking for something to do and channel their anger. But on Tomas McDermott, we have had instances of hotels been burnt out because they're going to be used as immigration centres. We've seen protests such as the blockade in Clare where roads were being closed off. A lot of the time we like to tell ourselves in Ireland that we're not racist, but there are elements of racism do raise their head occasionally, don't they? 
Oh, absolutely, Matt. You can go far back throughout the centuries. Like we had the blue shirts um, who were fascists. Uh, we had Peter Casey in the last election uh, who got 23% of the vote and came second. For And really his whole thesis was questioning travellers' ethnicity. And you might have noticed yesterday in one of the two of the papers, he's reared his head again talking about immigration. So I keep an eye out for him in 2025 for the next election. Because you're right, though, there has been this kind of sense of, of, of the right... Um, rearing its head and even in the town I grew up in in Swords when they were allowed into the library to uh, accost the library workers because they were worried about quote pornography and books around uh, sex education um, it was staggering and I figured once we started letting them into libraries um, and disrupting people wanting out of their own interest to go read books or for their own education to read books I knew we were going to be facing something uh, significant I think it was James Waterman Wise who said when fascism comes to America is going to be wrapped in a flag and carrying a cross. Well, we're seeing a version of that here in Ireland. Um, it is come, it's wrapped in a flag and often it is carrying a cross where we're seeing, for example, there is a constant attack on LGBTQI people. There are attacks on immigrants and um, climate change, which you would have thought, for example, is a no brainer, has now becoming a left right issue. Uh, they're anti vax. So there's a whole series of these um, uh, issues are cropping up and we are beginning to see the right on it. I'd happen to agree in part uh, with Dave and uh, Brianna, though, in relation to the Dublin riots, that that felt like a significant proportion of them were disaffected youth, which again is a government issue, where there's a significant proportion of some communities who feel uh, unloved for, uncared for, separate from the community, and they are full of anger, perhaps full of boredom, perhaps full of both. And there was certainly a sense of, of kickback there as well. Okay, well, there's now a cause celeb for some people as well who's spending this Christmas in prison because he has chosen to spend Christmas there because he will not purge his contempt of a court order in relation to not trespassing at the school where he used to be employed. It's contrary to what some people are saying. He could protest outside the school gates. It's going inside is the issue and he refuses to stop doing so. So let's hear a little bit from last March when our Today FM Courts correspondent Frank Greeny was on the last word telling about the chaos that ensued at the appeal of Enoch Burke where Gardy had to remove fam- members of his family from the court. Mr Justice Birmingham then told the Burks that he was willing to keep going and that he would deliver the judgment uh, in full but that he would have no choice but to do so electronically if there were any further interruptions which inevitably there were. Uh, the court had to rise again and then all hell broke loose with 10 guards uh, being dispatched to the courtroom. At this point, uh, Annie was dragged out by four officers. Enoch Burke had to be restrained. Their parents got involved. So too did Isaac and Simeon Burke. Uh, the Burks refused to leave the courtroom. Uh, the court staff tried to empty the public gallery. Uh, Enoch was screaming at them to leave his father alone. He called some of the guardy thugs. Uh, there were scuffles in the aisle as the Burks continued to refuse to budge. Uh, Enoch even grabbed uh, one of the benches tightly as one Garda simply stood behind him, tried to reason with him, uh, but again he refused to leave. Uh, Simeon Burke was next out of the courtroom uh, before Martina and Sean Burke, their parents, were then removed, followed by Enoch himself and Isaac uh, was the last to be forcibly removed. Uh, he was dragged along the floor of the courtroom by three officers, pure and utter chaos. 
Lisanne, I noticed that there are a lot of foreign actors again who are trying to portray the Burks as martyrs for free speech, uh, saying that he is imprisoned because of his views refusing to accept transgenderism, which is not the reason why he's in prison, but it suits a narrative for those who want to stir up dissent in this country. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's all, it's it's certainly all over um, right wing, uh, particularly evangel- evangelist media, uh, podcasts, radio shows, news shows in this, across the US. Uh, he, you know, they see him as a heroic figure because he's standing up for free speech, because he refused to um, use the correct uh, the name and pronouns of of a student. And um, but of course, the 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 nub of the matter is he, you know, all his the, the two hundred days he spent so far uh, in prison over the last eighteen months have been for contempt of court. And um, I would say most people find it difficult to purge their own contempt of the Burks, to be absolutely honest, because it's... It's um, not very Christian, is it, for people who are Christian to refuse to accept John B. Mallory enough to refer to people as the way they want to be referred to? Well, this is it. But I think if you are touting the particular brand of fundamentalist uh, religion that he is, they don't have any truck with such no of equality of that nature. But what are we going to do? Or what is the state going to do? Is it correct that Enoch Burke should be in prison for Chris? Well, truck with such notions of equality of that nature. But what are we going to do? Or what is the state going to do? Is it correct that Enoch Burke should be in prison for Christmas? Well, he's racked up 70 grand in contempt of court fines as well that may or may never get paid. I mean, the Irish Times did a great job talking about how judges essentially have their hands tied when they're dealing with civil contempt of court matters. There's nothing much they can do more than add fines and additional imprisonment, um, which he's obviously happy to accept and, and make himself a martyr. But you just think this is a family of incredibly intelligent, incredibly educated people like they could be at something better, surely with their time than disrupting the court. I think they've been between before 29 judges now and there's 10 children. So there could be many more court cases to come. Yeah. Can I just say, if you ever see me on the street outside a courthouse, okay, and I've been picked up collar and belt style and I'm being suspended <laughs> off the ground horizontally and I'm screaming the word transgenderism <laughs> into the street, I've probably lost the argument, you know, <laughs> something's gone wrong. Well, Call your cab, Owen, send you home. Could I jump in on uh, what? Dave has touched upon there. Uh, aside from him getting turfed out onto the streets, I do think it is an example of the works of the, of I suppose the importance of communication in life, where several members of that family have done themselves and done their careers huge damage, and not by having extreme views or beliefs, but they've done the damage by having no idea how to communicate with others in a way that achieves an outcome that they want. That is a, a, a learning from it. But I also think that there's a kind of a, the danger of misinformation, and this is linked to what least least just touched on there, which is that of unregulated media and how this story was tried to turn into a story around gender identity, which it's not. It's a it's a story about him shouting at his boss. Ultimately, this is where this started from, and then has evolved into this uh, into this pattern. And I think our judges and the judiciary have handled it all pretty well, not by making a martyr of him by being authoritarian, but ultimately, I suppose, protecting the integrity of the system by not letting them away with it either. Okay, stay with us, Ultimos, McDermott, Brianna Parkins, Dave Hanratty and Lise Hand because we're going to go to much more positive entertainment-related news in our review of the year after the traffic with Mark Hogan. Finishing our news review of the year with Lise Hand, Brianna Parkins, Dave Hanratty and Ultimos, McDermott, you have asked, Brianna, did you want to do the Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> trial? It has to be done. So explain you what that ever. was. I think in a year of 
really dark um, news stories. You know, Gaza, the far right. I think Gwyneth Paltrow's trial just was a little... Like, it was just like taking a warm bath for us. Do you know what I mean? Remind me. just like a little palate refresher. What what was involved in it? It was like, it was, do you know what it worked for? It was basically two very wealthy people suing each other. So she had been skiing famously um, and uh, a man had collided into her back. Now, he claimed that he had long-lasting injuries. He had changed his personality. He was in constant pain. He had sort of memory loss. He claimed all these things. Um, And instead of paying him out, she was like, no, 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 we're going to have our day in court. And they had it in a small sort of municipal building in Utah. And there was just some beautiful quotes because really it was low-streaks drama. Like, Gwyneth Paltrow was going to be okay no matter what. And well, the best part... Let's hear a little bit of what we might describe <laughs> as the banter between Gwyneth Paltrow and the plaintiff's attorney, Kristen Van Orman. You were wearing goggles, a helmet. Yes. Okay, kind of looked like everybody else on the slope. That's always my intention. Okay. Probably had a better ski outfit, though, I bet. I still have the same one. <laughs> May I ask how tall you are? I'm just under five. 10. Okay. I am so jealous. I think I'm shrinking, though. You and me both. I have to wear four-inch heels just to make it to 5'5". Five five, well, so. They're very nice. Well, thank you. And you're not trained in accident reconstruction. Me? Yeah. No. Neither am I. I was yelling at him. Pretty loud. Pretty was, forceful. I was pretty upset. Right? You're yeah. small but mighty. Actually, you're not that small. Okay, and I'm assuming... You're under oath here. That you're a good tipper. Yes. Hey, fantastic. I wouldn't expect anything less. What? And that was his lawyer. Like, that was the, the man who was suing her lawyer, fangirling over her height. And it was just beautiful. One of my favorite quotes was, she was like, you know, what injuries have you suffered? And she just dead face said, well, I lost half a day skiing. And it was just like the perfect courtroom drama because nothing bad was going to happen at the end of the day. We, we needed Gwyneth Paltrow's trial. It was a mood booster. I mean, she's the queen of goop, you know, and here's the thing. I mean, like interviewing celebrities, sometimes you do get starstruck. You know, we all just lose it in the face of a genuine titan like Gwyneth Paltrow. I think I said it on the show at the time, but it was like there was a tweet doing the rounds because she dressed down for this, you know, she tried to look more normal, quote unquote. <laughs> so she wearing these big kind of like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer-esque glasses and she did this giant white jumper and I guess no makeup on. And someone on Twitter was like, it looks like a trial from the 1980s where she's been hi- she's hired a hitman to kill her husband. Like, it just had that vibe to it. It's like, where's the six-part Netflix documentary on this? Okay, let's other things. Let, let's go Irish. And let's hear a little bit of Colin Farrell giving his acceptance speech at the Golden Globes for Best Actor for his role as Podrick in Banshees of Inish Aaron. I'm so horrified by what's happened around Banshees over the last couple of months in a thrilling kind of way. Um, Brendan... I just, I love you so much. I love you so much. To get to to cohabitate this creative space with you every day, all I did when I came to work every day was aspire to be your equal. I'm not saying I even got there, but the aspiration kept me going. And I thank you for that for the rest of my days also. Kerry, to finally see the world after 20 years of acting, you can forget that piano. To finally see the world after 20 years of acting, find your work now, you're extraordinary. Barry, when you're sharing a house with an actor you're working with, a word of advice, Barry, don't eat his crunchy nut cornflakes and leave him with no breakfast in the morning. Okay, you should never send a man to work on an empty belly. I want to thank Sheila Flitton, who played our band, She. I want to thank the cast and the crew and the locals of Inishmore and Ackill Island that brought us in. And there was lines blurred between all of us so that we were just one big family for the betterment of all of our souls on that experience. And uh, lastly, Jenny the Donkey, who is, yeah, yeah, Jenny. Okay, possibly Colin Farrell's best role, least, do you think? 
Have you seen Banshees of Inisherin? Oh, I have, yes, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, there's no doubt about it. His best role. I mean, I, I just, I love him anyway. I mean, I, he's, I just think he's one of those guys that no matter if he's in a turkey, he still makes it interesting, you know, um, because just his personality just comes through. And uh, he, he's just, and what I love about, I loved about that particular speech, like he takes genuine delight in the fact that he's now, there's so many Irish actors doing well. I mean, you've got, I mean, even as we, was it this week or last week? Turns out there's three Irish actors not, uh, have landed three nominations for the Golden Globe. Barry Keoghan, who was just mentioned there, Killian Murphy and, Killian Murphy and Andrew, Andrew Scott. Scott. Andrew Scott. Yeah, yes. which is, but you can see his absolute delight in, in you know, he, he wants to share it with everybody else and sort of part of that community. And it's, you know, having the, the having the crack and it's not sort of all tearful thanking, you know, various deities and all that. Um, and as their acting coaches, um, big snore there. But so, you know, it's, it's, I just think he's fantastic. Okay, really. and of course another Irish winner who's an old friend of ours, Lise, because we worked with him in the Sunday Tribune newspaper many, many years ago, but he's gone on to much bigger and better things. And this is Paul Lynch accepting the Booker Prize for his novel Prophet Song. Prophet Song by Paul Lynch. Thank you, Amelie and Elliot, my beautiful children, and all the children of this world who need our protection yet have lived and continue to live through the terrors depicted in this book. Thank you for opening our eyes to innocence so that we may know the world again as though for the first time. Camus used to tell himself quietly to live to the point of tears. Well, let me tell you, winning the Booker Prize does just that. Thank you so very much. It is with immense pleasure that I bring the Booker home to Ireland. Brianna, does the Aussies get as soppy as we Irish do about success on the international stage? No, I think we're at the Colin Farrell school of like, this is great, thanks, cheers to the award, I'm going to bugger off and have a party now. But we, we can get a bit soppy. I think Nicole Kidman got a bit soppy once. But yeah, we tend to be a bit more like the Colin Farrell school of award acceptance. Okay, and to finish with you on Tomás McDermott, do we maybe overemphasise at times the Irishness of those Irish people who win internationally when they're really winning for themselves? (laughs) Ah, not at all. It's great to have a bit of pride. And I think actually Justine McCarthy in today's Irish Times had a piece on the importance of us having a bit of pride in our our creative and our creativeness. And so no, I think it's, it's brilliant for and we have hopes for uh, Killian Murphy next year with the Oscars. So no, no, I think it's absolutely fantastic, Matt. That, that would be a victory for Cork as well as for Ireland, of course. Well, outside of Dublin that I must remember. But like, I think if you come back to the Booker, like we've done extraordinary well there with John Banville, Roddy Doyle, I think Anne Enright, and maybe Anna Burns have all won it. Like that's that's fabulous and a great achievement for Paul, and he should be incredibly proud. Indeed. Okay. Listen, Owen Tomas McDermott, thank you for joining us today, and indeed throughout the year and the same goes to you Dave Hanratty, also Brianna Parkins from the Irish Times and Lise Hand, all of you thank you so much for your contributions throughout the year The Last Word with Matt Cooper Weekdays from 4.30 Today